John chapter 9 is on page 758. And this is a long, long reading, but it's a complete unit. So I'm going to read from uh, verse 1, and we'll get going now. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can now see, he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to be why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw me out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. Sorry. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Here ends the reading from God's Word. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. and We pray that you would help us now to focus and help us to understand what it is you're saying to us today. And Father, more than that, that we would put it into practice in our lives. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What are the things which cause a person to be blind? I'm not talking about uh, physical blindness. I'm talking about that kind of blindness uh, where uh, people are blind to things which are true. What are the things that cause that kind of blindness? Well, I think that there are many things, really, but uh, here's just a few. Uh, Human pride can cause us to be blind, can't it? Uh, You know what it's like uh, when we are proud we find it very difficult to admit that we might be wrong, even though the facts might be very blatantly obvious to us. Uh, we, uh, we don't want to back down from our position, so we are blind. Status and our position in our communities can also cause us to be blind as well. Uh, something might be very clearly true, but uh, we reject it because it threatens Uh, who we are or what our position is or what people think about us. Um, Have you noticed that at election time, by the way? Uh, Sometimes the journalists will ask questions of a politician. They'll ask a question which is actually kind of loaded with an uncomfortable truth. And do you get a straight answer? No way. It's a version of the issue. It's... uh, uh, talking about other things and it's about attacking, attacking the other side. Sometimes we can allow our culture and our tradition to blind us as well. Um, something might be true, but if it's not part of our culture, not part of our tradition, then changing our thinking uh, means stepping outside of our comfort zones and uh, so we reject the idea of doing that. 
Now, it's for the same kind of reasons that people can be blind to spiritual truths. And today I want to talk about blindness, spiritual blindness, because it's the big issue in the passage that was read to us in John chapter 9, which you might want to have open up in front of you. Because in John chapter 9, we meet a rather extraordinary man. We meet a man who was blind. I'm not talking about um, just blind to certain truths. I'm talking about actually physically blind. Let's have a look at this guy because Jesus and his disciples came across him in uh, verses 1 and 2. And uh, in verse 1, we're told by John that as Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, it's interesting when you think about the disciples, isn't it? Why were the disciples interested in this man? Uh, were they interested because they thought, wow, this is great, this is an opportunity to actually heal someone? Was that what their interest, uh, where their interests lie? No, uh, their interest was a theological interest. They had a question, theological question about this man. You see, we know that the Bible teaches that, uh, that uh, sickness... Uh, difficulties and even death entered the world because of sin. Uh, that's why we ex- this life this side of, of, of heaven is like that. But uh, some of the Jews had taken it further than that. They had uh, said that if you're sick or if something terrible happens to you, then that is always because of some specific sin that you've committed. Now, sometimes, you know, we might get sick because of a sin that we've committed, but they were saying that it's always the case that if such and such has happened to you, that is because you're Job's counsellors. Poor old Job, he really copped it, didn't he? That's the kind of thing that uh, people were thinking. Now, so they've got this kind of theological question about this person because uh, if a person is blind because of sin, then what about the man who's actually born into that situation of life? Where does he stand? What's, what's the issue there? I mean, uh, what are the options? Did he, did he sin while he was in the womb? I mean, it's a crazy option. Or was it his parents who sinned? Is that why he was born blind? What, what's, what's, that's the sort of question that's spinning around inside the heads of the disciples. And so Jesus is clear. Uh, in verse 3, he tells them, You've, you're completely wrong. Uh, The reason that this man was born blind, it's got nothing to do with his specific sin or his parents' specific sin. The reason that he was born blind was so that God's work could be revealed in this man's life. Now, when Jesus says something like that, you kind of brace yourself because you know that something big is about to happen. Well, let's have a look at what happened. In verse 6, we are told that Jesus spat... On the ground. Now you're reading from the NIV, are you? What does it say? He didn't spat on the ground, he spit on the ground. Why is that? Sounds like the NIV's got the grammar wrong. Uh, Friends, this is not wrong grammar. This is American grammar. Okay, that means it's wrong grammar. (laughs) We're talking, uh, some of us were talking to Roger and Anita from Canada uh, over the the week and uh, we asked them about that and uh, they said, yeah, we, you know, in 
Canada and in the United States, we'd always say, past tense, that you spit on the ground. Is that right, Tim? Where's Tim? Tim would say spat. Well, you see, Roger and Anita would say that in Canada, if you said spat, then that was because you're posh, that you thought a bit too highly of yourself. <laughs> well, you're from the eastern part of the country. It makes a big difference. So, but anyway, I just want to point this out to you because... Uh, it, uh, you've, you've probably wondered that question when you've looked at this before. Jesus spat on the ground. And then what he did is he made some mud. And then he took the mud and he rubbed it in the man's eyes. Now the man may have wondered, what is Jesus doing here? But then Jesus told him to go to a particular place called the Pool of Siloam and to wash his eyes. And the man did that. By the way, why do you think John there points out what the actual meaning of the word Siloam is? Do you see that? Uh, he says the, it meant sent. Well, he doesn't tell us why, but we could speculate that uh, perhaps he's saying here that uh, this is part of that theme that uh, Jesus claims to be the one who has been sent by the Father. That question of where did Jesus come from? So the man, the man obeyed Jesus, went to the pool, washed his eyes, and we're told that he came home seeing. How about that? How about that? Can you, can you imagine what that would be like? You can't, can you? you can't, we can't imagine what it would be like to be a person who has lived your entire life in darkness and in suddenly that the light has flooded in, suddenly you can see the world around you. It would be, uh, um, actually Roger was telling us, he actually works uh, with blind people now, and he said that these days when a person who is blind who is medically healed, then it actually takes quite a while for the person to get used to life. He said that when they see something, they don't know what it is until they feel it with their hands. How about that, eh? How about that? And so this man uh, went to his home and in verses 8 through to 12, we're told that everyone was stunned. His neighbours and people who had seen this man before, people said, well, hang on, mommy, isn't this the man who used to sit in the corner with his little money can begging for money? Isn't because to be blind in those days meant to be a... A beggar. And some are saying, no, no, it's, it couldn't be him. It only looks like him. And some said, no, I think it is him. And so they asked the man, well, uh, who are you? And he says, I am that man. And then he tells them about another man, the man who put some mud in his eyes, the man who he doesn't really know very much about except that they called him Jesus. Extraordinary situation. And he told them what Jesus had done. Now, they would have interpreted this as being a spiritual healing. And uh, the right and appropriate thing for them to do, it would seem, would be to then take this man to the spiritual leaders. That's what they did. In verse 13, they took the man to the Pharisees. I have a friend who is completely blind. He has... Uh, never seen anything since he was a kid and he's about my age now 
He's, he's never seen me. Doesn't know what I look like. He doesn't know what his wife looks like. There's one man who I can say with certainty did not marry his wife on the basis of how good looking she was. <laughs> now, I imagine that if my friend was miraculously healed or even if he was given back his sight through some medical procedure, that I don't think I'd be able to contain my joy. I reckon I would shed a tear or two. You can understand that, can't you? Well, not the Pharisees. <laughs> the Pharisees, they weren't going to go for any of that emotional kind of stuff. Uh, we, uh, you see, for them this was a problem. They were not exactly thrilled to hear that this bloke... Uh, had been blind and he could now see and it was because of Jesus. That didn't thrill them. Verses 13 through to 17. Uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. You see their problem? They're divided, aren't they? Some of them saying, well... You know, how could a sinner do something like this? Others are saying, no, 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 he couldn't. You know, he, he, he is a sinner. He's done it on the Sabbath. And they're, they're divided amongst themselves. So what do they do? They turn to the poor bloke who's been healed. And they say, well, what you, what's your opinion? I mean, after all, it was your eyes that he fixed. What do you think about it? Now, for those who had a problem with it, what was the issue for them? What was the issue? The issue for them was that Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath. Uh, the Pharisees were sticklers for the law. They had calculated that there were 614 commandments in the Old Testament and they were going to make sure that they stuck to every one of those 16 and 614 commandments, so much so that they invented uh, a body of commandments about twice as long as that uh, to kind of be like a wall around those 614 commandments so you couldn't even get anywhere near disobeying one of God's laws. Everything was nice and tidy for them. They had it all stitched up. Stick within that box of laws and you'll be okay. Problem was... They'd taken the law that says you shall not work on the Sabbath and they changed it into a law that says you shall not help a poor blind man on the Sabbath. You see, there was another law that they'd completely forgotten about, wasn't it? And that's the law to love your neighbour as yourself. So on the surface, that's the issue for them. They're saying that he's a lawbreaker. He hasn't obeyed the Sabbath. But that's not what else is going on here. There's something much deeper that's happening here. There's something inside their hearts. Uh, reality was they hated Jesus. Um, <clears throat> religion had served the Pharisees very nicely, thank you very much. It, it was the thing which gave them status and respect in their community and Jesus challenged that. Jesus um, kept on... 
threatening their position. Uh, Jesus kept on exposing their hypocrisy and doing so publicly. Like, remember when he cleared the temple back in John chapter 2? He went into the temple, there they are, there's all this business taking place and he tipped over the tables of the money changers and he said to the religious leaders that they had turned his father's house into a den of robbers. I didn't like that. We've seen over the last couple of chapters that they kept on trying to arrest Jesus because they wanted to kill him. And now they've got a bigger problem. Because here standing right in front of them is a man who was blind, but now he can see. So what are their options? They've got a couple of options. One option is that they could have actually fallen down on their knees and worshipped Jesus and thanked God for what had happened. But they're proud. They're arrogant. There is too much at stake for them, too much of this world which is at stake for them, and so... They don't do that. Instead, what we see in verses 18 through to 23 is that they start a process of, you know, there's a process of interrogation that's happening here. One of the first things that they do is they want to actually verify whether or not this man was in fact blind previously. Fair enough. Um, And so they call his parents in and they ask them. If you're a parent, can you imagine how his mum and dad would have been feeling the very fact that their son could now see unspeakable joy that they would have been experiencing. So they asked the parents, uh, you know, is this the son that you had that was blind? And they confirm it. They, yeah, this is our son. And yes, this is the son, our son who was blind. He's not one of our other sons. He is the one who was blind. But then they refused to say who had healed him. Check out why, verse 21. Verse 21, uh, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age, he will speak for himself. Why do you think they said that? Well, verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Um, This, by the way, is the first time that we have recorded where the followers of Jesus are actually suffering the real threat of persecution. But at any rate, the Pharisees go ahead and they do as the parents suggested in verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, Why, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and they said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he come from. That's interesting because in chapter 8 they said, ah, he came from Galilee. The prophet doesn't, you know, they knew where he came from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where this man came from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now, you've got to hand it to this little battler, don't you? I mean, the, the Pharisees, in terms of the social, sta- social ladder, they're right up there on the top rung. Um, this bloke, he's right down there on the bottom rung. <laughs> right? But that didn't bother him, did it? Because there was, there was one irrefutable fact. And that is, I was blind, but now I see. Kind of sums it up, doesn't it? And so he took it up to these guys. He wasn't not in any sense intimidated by them. And then the Pharisees had a nice touch right there at the end. I mean, this man is experiencing the greatest blessing of his life, but what do they do? Well, they, they accuse him of being a sinner. <laughs> I say, oh, well, you're steeped in sin at birth. Why do you think you were blind in the first place? Because you're just a sinner. Get out of here. And they tossed him out. The story concludes in verses 35 to 41, where Jesus found the man who he had healed. Uh, Listen to what Jesus said to him in verse 35. Uh, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. That's an interesting moment, isn't it? Because remember, the man actually has never seen Jesus up until this point. Jesus Jesus was not there with him when he went to the pool of Siloam and washed his eyes and saw. Jesus didn't go home with him. Jesus wasn't there with her. This is the first time that the man has ever seen Jesus. Jesus said, you now have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The Old Testament says that there is only one person who is to be worshipped. Who's that? God. To worship anyone who is not God is idolatry. This man worships Jesus. Does Jesus reject his worship? What does it tell us about who Jesus believes that he is? Jesus believes that he is God. This is a statement by Jesus. As whenever Jesus accepts worship, It is a statement made by Jesus of his divinity. And so, in this passage, friends, who is truly blind? It's the religious leaders. I mean, they could see physically, but when God appeared before them in the person of his son, they were blind. He threatened their position. They did not want to see him. They blocked him out of their sight. But who is it who could truly see? It's the poor beggar, the man with no status, the man who could see Jesus not only physically, but now spiritually as well. 
as he came to believe Jesus to be the Son of Man of Daniel, Daniel 7. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus made this statement. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who are the ones who see God? Those who are pure in heart. It's a matter of the heart. You see, and I'm sure that you'll agree with this, that there are all sorts of reasons nowadays why people reject the gospel, aren't there? Um, you know, popular one these days is to say, well, I just don't believe that God exists. Remarkable, isn't it? You look at the world, you look at the complexity, you look at the design, but they say, no, God, God doesn't exist. Uh, other people say, well, I just don't like church very much, or... People say that there's too much suffering in the world. Why, if God exists, why would he allow that? And these are objections which do deserve our respectful and considered response because often it's the case that the person just really hasn't thought through what they're saying and they need us to help them to think it through and tease it out. Uh, other times you might find that there's some other issue, perhaps some hurt, some experience that the person's gone through. And uh, as Christians, we care for people and we may want to actually try to unravel that for people and get to the heart of the issue and try to help them. But sometimes, even when all of those issues are stripped away, the reality is that people just simply do not want to turn their lives over to God. Now, I've seen this, you may have seen it yourself, uh, situations I've been in where I've been sharing the gospel with people over a period of time. And we've talked through issues such as the existence of God and the, the rebellion of man and the judgment of God and what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. And I say to people, well, where do you stand? Are you going to put your faith in Jesus or not? And they say, no, I'm not. Well, why is that? Is that because you don't believe that God is the creator? Or that Jesus, no, it's not because I don't believe in that. It's not because I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. When it all boils down, sometimes it's just pure and simple. I just want to live my life my way without God. Just as an encouragement to you, as people have been through that conversation with, and then sometime later they've actually um, surrendered their life to God uh, as well. See, according to Jesus, it's all about the heart. And here in this passage, it's spiritual blindness. Uh, last week in chapter 8, we saw that, that in our natural state, that we are in slavery to the evil one. And the Bible says the same thing about blindness. Uh, in our natural fallen state, we are blind. Now, you and I see this all around us all of the time with the people that we mix with, the people, we live, uh, the people who live here in Port Macquarie. Uh, we see people who are busily going about all of the activities of life. Uh, sleeping, eating, working, playing, sleeping, eating, working, playing. and It's like a treadmill, isn't it? That, you know, the daily grind, you go through it, people go... Th and we see people going through all of the stages of life as well, of of growing up, of, of working, of marrying or not marrying, of buying properties, of having children, of paying off mortgages, of retiring, of travelling, of then dealing with health issues. And, and all the while, all the while, seemingly oblivious 
to the real questions of life, the real issues of life, issues such as peace with God, issues such as eternal security, issues such as who is Jesus. Do you get frustrated by that? I know I do. Until I think about the fact, well, that was actually me before I became a Christian. We need to understand what is going on in the heavenlies, what is going on spiritually. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the verse that I've printed for you on your sheets there, Paul puts it this way. He says that the God of this age, Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of the uh, gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see Christ because the God of this age has blinded them. You see, spiritual blindness is a spiritual matter. And so how can that be fixed? Only by spiritual means. And friends, this means that we need to be people who pray. We need to be people who continually are asking God to bring spiritual sight to those whom we know who are living in darkness, particularly those whom we love, our friends, our neighbours, our family. And so I do want to ask you, um, are you someone who prays? Is prayer, thanks Jacob, is prayer something which is part of your daily life? I know we all struggle with prayer, don't we, and getting into the routine of it. But we need to recognise that it is only as God's Holy Spirit works in the, in the lives of people that their eyes can be opened, that the scales can be dropped off, that they can see Jesus and truly understand who he is, what he's done, especially the forgiveness of the cross. I remember a friend of mine uh, who became a Christian and he said to me what it was like for him as he reflected on the experience of becoming a Christian. He said, you know what, Scott, I felt like that man who was born blind. <laughs> so when I heard about Jesus and who he was and what he'd done for me on the cross and the forgiveness that I could have, it was like my eyes had been opened for the first time in my life and I could see truth. I could see the world as it really is. I could see myself who I really am and I could see what God has done for me. So I was like that man that was born blind. John Newton's an interesting character, isn't he? 18th century captain of a slave ship. An ungodly man, a godless man in a godless and despicable and appalling industry. So he made his living, trading slaves from West Africa to the New World. Until God opened his eyes and he saw Jesus, he saw what Jesus was on about, he saw who Jesus was, he saw that God is a saving God. And he was able to write those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found, was blind but now I Who'd he been reading about? This poor blind man who once was blind but now could see.
Friends, we need to be praying for more of that. And we need to be thankful as well for God, to God for how he's opened our eyes and how he's made us able to see. And we need to be people who will shine that light of the gospel because in verse 4 we're told that it is our work to do this. We need to be people who shine that light of the gospel so that others can see Jesus. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great light that Jesus is. We thank you, Father God, for this man who was born blind but to whom you gave sight. We thank you that it wasn't that his physical healing was appointed to his spiritual healing and his greater need. We thank you, Father God, that you've opened our eyes, that we can see Jesus. We pray, Lord God, for your spirit to be at work in the lives of many others, that there would be many people whose eyes would be opened, who would uh, be uh, rescued and released from the darkness of living without you, come to see you for who you truly are and embrace Jesus. We pray that we would be people who help to spread that great gospel that brings true sight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.